amen. Thank you, Steve and band. Y'all did a wonderful job and so appreciate all the rehearsal that went into that. And we had a new pianist today. I don't know if y'all noticed, Marianne Barlow. She was playing the piano. Let me tell you, it's an honor to be asked to stand in the pulpit on this day to share with you from God's Word. My heart's already full, and Ryan, you, uh, you almost made me emotional. In fact, you did. When you had this brother, he came over and prayed for me. I know some of you were prayed for, and you probably were blessed in an unexpected way. But as we gather today on this Legacy Sunday, I want to direct your attention to the screen. Leaving a godly legacy is what we're going to be looking at today. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the word legacy. You may hear, you may think of a favorite sports team, maybe a celebrity who starred on film and screen. It could be the idea of, of building wealth comes to mind because you know you can't take it with you right well here's some favorite quotes about legacy that I want to share with you Shannon Alder says carve your name on hearts not tombstones a legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you William James the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it Another quote about legacy from a gentleman named Steve Saint. Your story is the greatest legacy that you will leave to your friends. It's the longest lasting legacy you will leave to your heirs. Peter Stropel says, legacy is not leaving something for people. It's leaving something in people. Gary Vaynerchuk says, please think about your legacy because you're writing it every day. Someone we all know and love, Billy Graham, said this, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And Jesus says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Amen. Whatever you think about leaving a legacy, your life will be remembered by others who are living in your wake. You're blazing a trail for those who may come behind you. Even today, we're standing on the legacy of those who have come before us in this place. Those who have built a house for God's glory on this corner that exists to change lives and, yes, even change the world. Well, a good workman knows that it takes time to build a home that will last for decades. He skillfully lays the groundwork and the foundation and refuses to cut corners as he puts together a solid frame to build upon. In the same way, you and I need to build a spiritual foundation in the next generation. God's Word lays out some guidelines for legacy building, and so I call your attention to Psalm 127. 
We're going to look at verse 1, 3, and 4 today. Follow along with me. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Will you pray with me as we ask God's help today? Father, we just come before you today. We ask you to be in our hearts, in our minds, in our midst. Lord, may we hear your word. May you speak to us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, in this passage, God's word in Psalm 127 gives us three word pictures that help us know how to build families that have a heart for God. When we think about legacy building, we think about, I think about my family. But this says that we are to be workmen, watchmen, and warriors. The goal of all three of these roles is that we will leave a legacy of godliness to our children, to our grandchildren, and for generations to come. The first word picture in Psalm 127.1 is that of a workman. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What we see here is an image of a workman, someone who is building a house. It doesn't say that this workman needs to leave his work and let the Lord build the house, but says that the Lord should be the, the main, uh, the general contractor. The, the Lord should be the one in charge of building this house. Now, I've never had the privilege of building a home. I know some of you probably have. I really know nothing about building. So if I wanted to build a house, I would have to contract with a good builder. Well, it just so happens that both of my brothers are home builders. <laughs> I have a brother named Steve and a brother named Alan. No relation to Steve and Alan here. <laughs> my brothers are experienced, and they have years of practice. In fact, they're perfectionists who take everything seriously, and they see with the eyes of experience things that I could never see and wouldn't even think about. Several years ago, they teamed up to build a vacation home for our family in the mountains of North Georgia. Some phases went by quickly with progress almost hour by hour and certainly day by day. More tedious parts of the process were, were much less exciting, but my brothers knew that even these slow parts were important. It was exciting for me and for them to stand back at the end of the process and to see a beautiful home that God had provided with the help of so many capable workmen and to be able to say, mission accomplished. I don't know if you can see the photos. There's one of the front of this cabin that we call in North Georgia and then another one of the back, this three-story log home that they built up there. Now, that home is a place where our family can get away and enjoy peace and quiet and where we can minister to others and, and provide blessing for them. As we read Psalm 127, we realize that the workman in view isn't building simply a physical house. He's building a home. He's building a heritage, a godly legacy that will take the heart 
and the ways and the faith of God and put it into the next generations. Now, that kind of building, I believe, is, is more demanding, it's more exacting, and sometimes exasperating than building a physical house because we're talking about affecting people's lives. People don't always do what you expect them to do, do they? There's so much more at stake. There's so much more at stake when we're talking about building a legacy into the lives of people that we lead. We can't afford to not do it well. We want to build lives, homes, and churches in a culture that will reflect God's glory long after we're gone. We want to leave a model of godliness that people will, will choose to embrace in the next generation. And today, we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us to build God's house on this corner in Avondale Estates. Pastors like Arnold Smith, Vic Green, Truett Gannon, Howard Cobble, Bill Young, Steve McSwain, Eric Matheson, Clay Bowden, and Chris Mullis. These and so many others have left a legacy of faith that we're privileged to follow. And we're challenged to continue to build on that legacy of sharing the hope of the gospel for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Let me give you a little bit of history about Avondale Estates. The city was founded by George Willis in 1924. He uh, developed plans for the city that was inspired by a trip that he and his wife took to Stratford-upon-Avon in England, which was the birthplace of William Shakespeare. Some of you have wondered, why does this look so much like England downtown? Well, today, Avondale Estates is named on the National Register of Historic Places. That happened in December of 1986. And this happened 68 years ago this weekend, Labor Day, 1955. Avondale Estates neighbors Joe Rogers Sr. and Tom Fortner founded the first Waffle House restaurant. And I believe at least one of those, if not both, were members of First Baptist Church, Avondale Estates. The name Waffle House was inspired by the most popular item on the original menu. And in 2004, Waffle House acquired the original restaurant building that was located down East College and opened it as a museum. And it's, if you go in there and walk around, it's just like stepping back into 1955. It's a little bit of history. There's other history uh, that's evident in Avondale Estates. 44 years ago, Leo Shababy opened a restaurant in downtown Avondale. Many of you probably eat there all the time. Skip's Famous Dogs. Leo, where are you? There he is right there. He's here with us today. If you haven't, <laughs> amen. I talked to him before the service. He says, that's my legacy. He's leaving it to his children and grandchildren. It's right there for all to see 44 years later. If you haven't eaten there, I highly recommend it. <laughs> 2 Chronicles 7.14. Let me share this scripture with you. It should be on the screen for you. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. This was the scripture read by Arnold Smith 
in January of 1939. He delivered this sermon at uh, Avondale Baptist Church, which was just on the outskirts of the city, not in the city limits, and it set in motion the birth of First Baptist Church, Avondale Estates. Reverend Smith was the pastor of that church. His demeanor and refusal to dodge an issue, organizational and promotional abilities, and strictly biblical messages were the forces that led to the organization and subsequent growth of a church within the city limits of Avondale Estates. Avondale Estates was founded without a church, intentionally. Nobody wanted a church, especially those who founded the city. After two years of discussing, planning, and meeting, the congregation of Avondale Baptist Church decided to continue their congregation, but to organize a new church inside the city limits of Avondale. So May the 9th, 1941, the First Baptist Church of Avondale Estates was constituted, had 122 charter members and a budget of $3,500. Can you live on that kind of salary, Ryan? <laughs> the meeting was held at the Avondale Elementary School, and permission to hold Sunday services at the school was obtained. Now, your merger teams saw fit to commemorate that event with a granite marker. Should be on the screen, can we see that? That granite marker, is it up there? Not yet? There it is. That granite marker uh, has the date of the church when it was founded. It's located right outside that center window on Covington Road side of the sanctuary. And it will remain as a monument to the legacy of those who have come before us. Who knew that 76 years later, in 2017, another church plant would begin meeting at Avondale Elementary School with the vision of bringing the reconciling hope of the gospel to the city, surrounding communities, and to all the world? Who knew that two young pastors would have a desire to preach God's word in order to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission? <laughs> who would ever think that one day, 82 years after the birth of First Baptist Church, an opportunity would arise to bring these two churches into a partnership that would become a force in building God's kingdom and pushing back the darkness of this world. Who knew that? I'll tell you who knew. You know it. God knew. Amen. God knew. God had a plan. The words God spoke to Jeremiah in chapter 29 are meant for us to hear, even today, and especially today. Jeremiah 29, beginning with verse 11, says this, for I know the plans I have for you, <laughs> declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Friends, don't you see? God has a plan. Don't think for one minute that all of this is just coincidence. 
that it was just happenstance that brought Gospel Hope Church and First Baptist Church Avondale Estates together. Today, we're seeing lives changed. We're seeing ministry accomplished because God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Folks, you've heard it said before, but I'm going to say it again. We are better together. We are better together. So are you a workman for God? Are you working to build a legacy and a house to honor the Lord for years down the road, long after you're gone? There's another word used in this passage, and that is the picture of a watchman, a watchman. The scripture says this, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here we have a picture of a, of a sentinel or a guard, someone who's been assigned and has accepted the responsibility of standing guard over a city. He can't go to sleep on his shift. He's got to stay alert. He's got to stay awake. He needs discernment to recognize when an enemy is approaching the city. Most importantly, we see and we need to understand that he must depend on the Lord to keep watch. The Lord must keep watch over the city or the watchman stays awake in vain. The book of Jude has something to say in this regard. Uh, Jude is a very short book. It doesn't even have chapters. It just has verses because it's only one, one book, and it's right there uh, before Revelation. Jude planned to write about our common salvation, but he changed his mind, and instead he's, he's using a Greek word in Jude verse 3 used here for the only time in the Bible. Jude said that his reader, readers needed to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude warned his readers that the body of Christ had been invaded by people who seemed to have all the right characteristics, all the right interests, the, spoke the same language, but these people actually were ungodly and they had wrong motives. They weren't living for God. They weren't seeking first his kingdom. Their hearts were not motivated by the love of Christ, but rather by the lust of the flesh. They were selfishly motivated. They were looking out for their own interest. They claimed to be followers of Jesus, but in fact, Jude said, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These people cared only for themselves. Jude identified them as complainers, as grumblers, as mockers. Their speech was filled with arrogance. They specialized in flattering others for the sake of gaining an advantage the way Jude puts it. But this wasn't a new problem. Jude reminded them that this problem had been faced in heaven when the angels rebelled, when Satan was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels, angels followed him. It was a, a problem that surfaced when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. And it's also a problem that sometimes we face today. How should we react when we encounter this type of problem? First, we need to react by building yourselves up on your most holy faith, seeking to grow in Christ, personally becoming stronger in our faith, spending time in God's Word. Second, 
We need to begin praying in the Holy Spirit, stirring up the presence of the Spirit, tapping into his power. I'm going to interject something here about a prayer event that Sandy Skinner has led for be 21 years this fall. Where are you, Sandy? There you are. I was looking over here with Steve, but you're not with him, are you? 21 years ago, Sandy began leading an annual fall prayer retreat to the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers. And she's going to do it again October the 14th, and you're invited just to go and get alone, get by yourself, get in the presence of God, and just spend time praying. You're welcome to join. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to stir up His presence in our hearts. We need to realize that the Spirit of God lives in us. He lives in us to empower us, to equip us, to help us engage the world around us, not to lock ourselves away. We need to tap into His power. And know this from 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is an amazing passage. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's an amazing passage. Did you hear that? God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking that he would strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Do you want the Lord to bless your family? Are you looking for God to bless this church? It's clear from this verse that the Lord is ready to strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. While exercising discernment about the world around, around us, we can't be judgmental, but we need to be filled with love and mercy. We shouldn't compromise, but seek to stay pure, abstain from things that pollute our lives, but we've been given the assignment of being a protector, looking out over the city that God has entrusted to us. Are you serving as a watchman in ministry today? Are you positioned to guard the house of God, to uphold the mission of the church? Do you serve well? As Pastor Ryan is fond of saying, is your yes on the table? Are you, are you fully committed Make sure that you heed Jude's warning. Be on guard, be alert, and be vigilant. Be a person who contends earnestly for the faith. Are you a watchman serving in the power of God's Spirit? The third picture in Psalm 127 is that of a warrior. Verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of the warrior are the children of one's youth. This picture here is of a battlefield. And believe it or not, our sons and daughters are likened unto ammunition. They're arrows in the battle. And God intends that we release them, sending them out into the culture. That sounds pretty serious. I have six kids, and uh, I hadn't, wasn't able to keep up with Ryan. <laughs> but your children... The Bible says here are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Are you a warrior? Parents, I applaud you today. You have an important job. Most of us are unfamiliar with this 
concept referred to in this psalm, the practice of using a bow and an arrow. These arrows have to be prepared. They have to be carefully shaped and formed. They have to be shot in the right direction toward the appropriate target. And our effectiveness as warriors, in many senses, determines the effectiveness of these arrows. If they're not shaped correctly, or if they're sent in the wrong direction, they're not going to fulfill their purpose. The first thing that I want you to consider is that arrows in the ancient world of King David's time were not perfectly straight like the manufactured arrows that we see today at Bass Pro Shops. Those arrows are without a blemish, straight, clear, and clean. They fly straight. But neither are our kids perfectly straight. The reason being that our kids aren't perfectly straight is because they come from fellow sinners. They come from you and me. But the warrior would spend hours preparing his arrows to take flight. He would meticulously spend time with each arrow, removing the bark, drying them out, removing crooked spots, sanding and balancing the arrows so that they could fly with as little wind resistance as possible. In contrast, how much time do we spend with our kids in preparation for releasing them in the flight of life? It's not mentioned here, but it's understood that every arrow needs a bow. A bow possesses dynamic tension that's stored up within it for whenever it is needed. As parents and guardians, we are obviously the bow in this scenario. Well, an arrow needs dynamic tension on a bow to launch it into flight. The warrior must be able to adjust the tension of his bow according to the weight of his arrows. In other words, every arrow that he shoots is a little bit different. Every child is different. We must nurture each one of them according to their personality, their character, their will, and God's unique purpose for them. But it's the wrong kind of energy if we use dynamic energy of worry. The dynamic energy of worry or being overbearing. These are dynamic energies that are wrong for our children. Do we have too much dynamic energy or do we have enough? Lastly, the warrior must know where the target is that he intends to launch his arrows to. He must be in line with the target and near enough in order to hit it. Think about this. As Christians, Jesus is the ultimate target that we're launching our children towards. The question is, how close are we to the target? Righteousness is a daily target that we want to strive to launch our children toward. How close to it are we ourselves? While we play a vital role in our children's lives in terms of relationship with the Lord, uh, we can't make them have a relationship with Christ. We can only launch them toward a relationship with Him. While we can't make our children have a relationship with the Lord, we can, however, certainly give them an excuse 
not to have a relationship for not wanting one. You've heard a popular saying from long ago that we really need to take to heart. What you're doing speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you're saying. Does that hit you where it hits me? In other words, does the contradiction of my walk drown out everything I'm saying, everything I'm trying to teach? Are our words extinguished by our actions before our words can germinate in the lives of our children? As you can see, like a warrior on the battlefield, parenting is not for weaklings. Just as a warrior takes his bow and arrow in hand with his target in sight and launches it with strength, determination, and intention, we must do the same in our, in our approach to parenting. Many are the children who've gone out like arrows into spiritual battle from this church body. Some of you will recognize these names. Folks like Dennis Llewellyn, Jan Colcord Hall, Mike Pineda, Chris Skinner, John Childers, Ken and Philip Duffy, Kenny Smith, and Leslie Lyons Watkins, to name a few. Some of these have served in missions and ministry over the years. But regardless of the career path, we want to see our children fall in love with Jesus. We want to see our kids fall in love with Jesus and live for him in whatever career they choose to do. In conclusion, the psalmist tells us that there's a house to be built, a city to be guarded, and a battle to be fought. If the workman cuts corners, if the watchman falls asleep or gets distracted while he's on his shift, or if the warrior fails to show up for battle, we're going to have problems. Lives can actually be in danger. These are strategic and vital roles. When you think about your family, it's not just a matter of you know, will, will my kids make it? Or, or will we have a good family? Will we have an intact home? There's really a much bigger picture here that I want you to see. God is building his kingdom. And we are workmen with him. We have a fellowship with God. We are watchmen with him. We are warriors with him. And listen to this quote. The purpose of God for our families homes and relationships is that through our little part of building we're contributing to a much larger building of the kingdom of God it's through this means that we leave a legacy of godliness for the next generation if you lose sight of that vision you're going to get weary and well-doing lift your eyes upward and say what's the bigger picture here what is God up to and how can I be a part of that. Our children are a sacred stewardship from the Lord. I mean, one day we'll give an account to God for the spiritual condition of the next generation. That doesn't diminish their responsibility, but we as adult believers will stand before God and give account for how we built, how we watched, and how we fought the battle on behalf of the next generation. And keep this in mind, legacy it's what we put in motion for the future. Do we instill in our children and grandchildren a set of values that they can live by and in turn build into future generations? What stories do we pass on that can be shared from one generation to the next? 
Do we pass on traditions, rituals, rhythms that still carry on? I love to think of the idea of some future generation still gathering together, still singing the songs of the previous generations. Perhaps they don't even know where that song came from or the message of the song, but they believe in it. What's the song you wish they'll sing going forward? Many of you know that my father, Joe Kuhn, is under hospice care. He's 93 years old, and in the last couple of years, he's published two poetry books. I have them here today. <laughs> this one is called The Sound of the Wind. It's a little bigger, it's a little longer. This one here is called Just One More. That's pretty remarkable that someone who began these poetry books. Now, these are accumulation of some poems that he's written over the years, but he just got these published in the last two years. This, this one here, just one more, there's a poem in that book. It's the title of one of the poems that I actually set to music. Music just came to mind when I read this poem. <clears throat> And we're going to sing this poem, this music, this song at the end of our service today. And I'm going to introduce that, Steve, right now. Steve's going to help us in the band. Obviously, he's going to help us. Um, my dad is concerned about, he's concerned about the legacy that he's going to leave for his family, for the next generation. And he's concerned about leaving a legacy that will lead others to faith in Christ. He's a man after God's own heart. Just one more captures the passion Joe Kuhn has for leading just one more person to faith in Christ. It was inspired by the evangelistic theme followed by Cross Point Church in, in Birmingham, Alabama and Pastor Ryan Whitley. Legacy is what we put in motion for the future. Let me read this to you. Just one more, Lord, we pray. Help us, Lord, show the way. No one, Lord, left alone. Lead them, Lord, lead them home. Oh, the troubled, enslaved to sin, open the gate, let them in. The one who has no one to care, help us, Lord, your love to share. Just one more, Lord, we ask. You've given us this holy task. There's one more in great need. Help us, Lord, plant the seed. And listen to this verse. Send me, Lord, to their door. Lead me to just one more. For I was lost, you took me in. Just one more, Lord, help us win. This is the reason that we are sent. At the end of every service, Pastor Ryan or Rod shares, folks, Gospel Hope Church, we are sent. We're sent to find just one more. We're not sent to just go out and, you know, enjoy life. We're sent with a purpose. We have a mission that we need to accomplish. As people of faith, we look forward to the long tomorrow, to the reunion of saints and the final gathering again of loved ones in heaven. But we want to live a meaningful life today because eternity is a long time. So I close with this. Are you living the legacy 
that you want to see lived out in the next generations? Are you honoring the legacy established by those who have come before you? May we have the courage to stand with Joshua when he says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, what has been our focus today? You, can, you should be able to see it on the screen. Would you say it with me? You put on the screen there, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Amen. Will you depend on the Lord as you work on building your life and your legacy? Are you a watchman serving in God's spirit power? Are you a warrior making ready your arrows that will be launched into the world? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow before you at this time, asking God for you to speak to our hearts. Lord, speak to us through your word. You are alive and well. And Father, it's our privilege to serve you. It's our privilege, Father, to be in a relationship with you, one that honors you for today and for the future. In Jesus' name I pray.